City family, it is good to be with you one more time over the internet. Uh, it is Father's Day, and I just want to take a moment um, to just recognize that. You know, I'm as disappointed as anybody that we didn't get to get to get uh, get together uh, outside at Conger Park today and celebrate. Um, but one of the reasons is we just wanted to take some time and celebrate dads. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great day um, because of our fathers. Uh, I want to celebrate uh, our, um, and lead us in celebrating our physical fathers. Our, uh, all of us are thinking and mindful of our fathers today. For some of, the, for some of us, uh, that, that, that thought or that uh, process is painful. For others, it's pleasing. We want to show grace for all of those situations. Uh, for me personally, my dad, Dave Flaster, has been a great dad uh, to me, and I just want to celebrate him today. I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for his godly influence in my life. I'm thankful that he uh, followed the Lord, uh, even at a, uh, you know, when he was in college and uh, could have had his mind on other things. Uh, he came to know the Lord, and he passed uh, that faith on to me. So, Dad, I'm just real thankful for you this morning. Happy Father's Day. I'm also happy for extended uh, family of spiritual fathers, such as Pastor Max Horton, who is a uh, you know, spiritual father to me, uh, and someone who has uh, led me to a greater understanding of, of Jesus. Um, all of us have spiritual dads, even if we don't, if we no longer have our physical dads with us. And so we just want to be thankful for those in our lives who have spiritually or physically you know, been fathers to us today. Uh, it's a, in, it's a, it's a good day because we get to honor our fathers. So I wanted to start there, uh, uh, for sure, before we say anything else. Um, and then I want to turn the page and, uh, and, and finish out a sermon series that we began, uh, some months ago, uh, when the world was much different than it is today. And it's a, uh, a sermon series called, series called He is Worthy. And it was a series that was unpacking uh, several words in, in, in the Hebrew language, uh, all of which uh, contribute to our understanding of the concept of worship or praise. These are all words that could be translated worship or praise. But their nuances of, uh, and the way that they're used are so varied, and it leads us to this really, really rich understanding of worship. My, uh, my, my desire, my prayer in putting that series together, I know the, 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 the prayer of the elders and the leadership has been that we would elevate um, our worship as we considered the worthiness of our God to be worshiped. Um, our great God deserves great praise. Um, if we have anemic praise, we tell the world that we are praising an anemic God. And I think that's very, very important in this time and in this age. Our worship needs to reflect God accurately. And I pray that this series, um, we've taken a break for a couple of weeks here, um, but as we close it up uh, this week, I pray that it's led you to a wider understanding of um, the God that we worship. We began some uh, months ago talking through the, the term Hosanna, 
praise of deliverance, a praise that has to do with being delivered from one place to another, from a place of oppression and a place of, a place of binding to a place of freedom. We talked about hallelujah, probably the most uh, uh, common of our words of praise, a shouting call, the lifting of the voice in worship. Uh, we, we talked about yada, a deep praise of confession, barak, to kneel in adoration, tauda and shabbat, a shout for joy and praise, to praise by way of offering and thanksgiving. Uh, we talked about shakak, which is to fall uh, 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 flat in worship. And then most recently, our, our sister, Dr. Edmund Taylor, led us to consider uh, the word tehillah. In one of my favorite sermons, I think it's growing to be one of my favorite sermons. I, um, and and that, that word tehillah has to do with singing praises together in harmony. And my sermon today uh, actually builds off the back of that one. I get to unwrap for you uh, this last word of worship that we're going to be discussing in this series. And that word is halal. Halal. And halal is one I was saving, man, I was saving it, you know, uh, for a special day. Uh, uh, it was going to be my Easter sermon. At one point, uh, I then started saving it just for the day that we have our first uh, sermon back together, uh, which also got derailed <laughs> this week. But the fact of the matter is, man, I'm, I, we planned this sermon series months ago. The world has changed and the sermon has changed um, as a result. and. Uh, so I come here today with a different thought in my mind than I had when I first planned it. I wanted to, you know, us to come back together and this be a triumphant moment, and uh, we get to uh, to shoot off the confetti cannons and uh, and raise a praise of halal to raise a halal together, because the definition, uh, you know, if you kind of put all the word, you know, the understandings of, of it together in scripture and how it's used together in the Psalms. It comes out to this. Halal means to shine forth your praise. It's an outward-facing, bright, shining, blinding kind of praise. In fact, one of its root, uh, roots has to do with this. It's a kind of praise that makes a show of it. It makes a show of praise. It's a kind of praise like David uh, 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 took up when he danced. And he was so compelled to dance as hard as he could, uh, he had no regard for how much clothing he was wearing or, or if he was uh, um, dancing in a way that was appropriate for a king to dance or if he was carrying himself in a way that was appropriate for royalty. He was making a show of his praise. His praise was so deep that it was coming out of him, shining forth, shining forth. And now I'm preaching this sermon on Father's Day, however many <laughs> um, months later. Uh, Father's Day that falls after the COVID-19 crisis has changed all of us. Um, a, uh, um, a sermon uh, that, that is now shaped by um, the crisis brought about by the death of George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd. Um, so I come to you now, much as I did when we uh, we, we were first in the quarantine saying God is doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing in this. I had never, I remember reflecting and thinking, man, this, this virus has brought the church 
to a halt. It's, it's like God has sat us down for a minute to get our attention. Little did I know how, how much of our attention he would demand through really some very, very painful things. And once again, just like the disease of COVID-19, the exposing of the disease of racism among us, that racism is not God's doing. That, uh, those tragic events that have brought this to the front, that's not God's doing. But God is always in the business of taking the devil's weapons and turning them against him. And he's patient in doing so, very effective in doing so. So as much as we can pray, and as much as we can sing, and as much as we can rejoice in this promise that comes from the scriptures, that no weapon of the enemy can be turned on me, can be formed against me if I'm in Christ Jesus, the devils, the princes of the air, the principalities, the powers, the spiritual powers have no such comfort because the weapons that they form can be turned against them and will be turned against them by our great God. The world has changed since I first planned out this sermon. God is doing a new thing. America has to change. The church has to change. I have to change. You have to change. And the truth is this, we only change. Change is uh, difficult, and the change that we need is radical, uh, and it is going to take a long time to effect. So we need patience and long-suffering in that change, which just draws out the pain. We'll only do that kind of change when the pain of staying the same becomes too much for us. We'll only go down the road of that change when the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of the change. So I am glad to see that we are extending this moment out, that, 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 that I believe the Spirit is extending this moment of discomfort and out, and that we've not been able to move on as a nation uh, from what's happened and this uh, exposure of, uh, of the systemic racism among us. I'm glad we haven't been able to move on. Um, and I'm glad for the church that we haven't been able to move on. Because as I said last week, brothers and sisters, the church has been complicit in this from the day we landed on these shores. People are getting real bent out of shape about systemic um, racism and, and, and systematic. They're using words like this in, uh, interchangeably. But the truth is that the church was a part of a system that was set up systematically to favor white European Christians. And because it was set up systematically with purpose, now it functions systemically. It's in the blood. The cancer has metastasized, become a part of everything that we do. And so we no longer are asking ourselves if we are racist, but how we have been shaped by the forces of racism. And that's something that all of us need to ask ourselves of, 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 of all nationalities and all languages and colors and creeds. 
in America and in the church, we have to ask ourselves, not have we been racist, not are we being racist. We have to ask ourselves, how are we shaped by racism? It's a time that's a painful change, but I'm praying that the pain of staying the same is becoming too great. I'm praying for that. I hope it hurts too bad for us to go back to business as usual in the church. If so, the future is very bright. The future is very bright. I hope recognizing the darkness of our past and our com the complicit nature of the church and honestly the nature of the so-called gospel we have preached many times in our history, that darkness will give way to the light of the, of the, of, of the true light shining through. I think that's what the Lord is doing. One of the books that I've been reading in, this, uh, in, in the quarantine that I've been uh, meaning to for a long time is this one is by Richard Twiss. It's called Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys. It's a Native American expression of the Jesus way. Very, very enlightening. Um, the fact is that the uh, earliest, the, 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 the Puritan um, missionaries that um, spoke the gospel of their understanding to uh, to the the native peoples, the First Nation peoples of this, of this land. It was a gospel that was somehow able to live side by side with brutal oppression and not be disturbed. It was a gospel that could somehow live with that even within themselves. It's a gospel that could set up the boarding schools uh, that, that, that systematically um, tried to, to assimilate Native children into um, civilization, which they termed as white and Christian. And so as a result, I believe there was a bent and broken gospel that was preached there. That same bent and broken gospel was preached by the slave owner to the slave, a gospel that was somehow able to live with, cis, with this uh, kind of brutal oppression. We have to come to grips with the fact that even though God in his, uh, bless his holy name, God is able to save people through broken expressions of the gospel every day. Aren't you thankful for that? Because you were saved through an imperfect and broken expression of the gospel. But the truth is, we have to come to grips with that if we're going to move forward. I hope we can't live with it anymore. I hope our gospel cannot live beside oppression anymore. And this is why worship is so important to, to us, brothers and sisters. It's so important. Because worship is about us changing, about us changing whatever needs to be changed in us in order that we might engage with the one who never changes. 
See, all of us need to come to him more and more every day. We've defined worship in this series as engaging with God on the terms that he proposes in the way that he alone makes possible. He makes worship possible by the blood of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says it this way. He says we worship in spirit and in truth. We come to God on his terms, not our own. We come to God uh, 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 in the way that he makes possible, not by any way that we make possible. So to put it another way, worship only happens when we are all singing from God's hymn book, if you will. We're all on his page. We're singing off his sheet music. That's when worship can happen. Singing in harmony, singing in tehillah. That worship singing in harmony from God's hymn book, together with our brothers and sisters. Tahila is what makes halal possible. So, I'm going to ask you to open up to the same passage that you opened up to when Dr. Ebony preached Psalm 22. I find something very interesting in Psalm 22. Look at verse 25. It says, from you, verse 25, this is Psalm 22, verse 25. Look at this. This is interesting. I think this is worded very well in the NIV. From you comes the theme of my tahilah. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Isn't that interesting? Who sets the tone for Tehillah? Who writes the music for Tehillah in the great assembly, the great assembly, when all the people of God get together, when that Revelation 7 moment comes and all creeds and colors and languages are there together, what's, whose song, who wrote the song they're going to sing? The song says, you, O Lord, from you comes the theme of my praise. From you comes the theme of our tahila, our singing in harmony. Harmony is beautiful because everyone's not singing the same note. See, all of us are individuals. All of us come to Jesus from different points of view and from different cultural contexts. All of us have an individual voice that's different than someone else's but they are related by our common love of Christ and, our, and the spirit that's in me is the spirit that's in you. And so there is, a, a, there is a harmonious overlapping of these individual voices. That's tequila. Now you can't sing in harmony unless you agree on the sheet music. I can pick two note, a different note from you and, if we, it, it, and we can sing them and those notes can clash or they can harmonize. They can be dissonant and make us go, or they can be in harmony and make us go, ah. Tehillah is when we're singing different notes because we're different individuals coming to Jesus from different points of view. But when they, we're singing notes that are related because we're looking at the same sheet music. 
the great composer has put together, the great, com the great artist has woven together this tapestry and has picked this color to be next to this color. The great musician has decided that this voice will be next to this voice. The great uh, composer has decided that this note will sit next to this note. We gotta be on the same sheet music. From you comes the theme of our tahila in the great assembly. So we have promises to make, we have vows to make. As it goes on to say, before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. We have a responsibility to one another to sing in Tehillah. I have a responsibility to you to listen to the note you're singing, to look at the same page that you're singing on and try to understand where you're coming from and the voice that you're using and why it is. Our sister, Dr. Ebony, began her wonderful sermon as saying this is a sermon for my family, she said. And she'd gone to speak to the city family. And she started off by saying, how can I tell you city family about why the Black Lives Matter movement is so important? And she went on in that same way for some time. How can I tell you city family about why this hurts. This moment, this murder, this situation, this time, why it hurts. How can I tell you? Because, and what I heard in her was, I want to tell you, I want you to understand because that's how we're going to sing in Tehila. See, I've got to be able to listen in order to sing in harmony. I can't just be singing from my own page blindly and not listening to those around me. Anybody that's sung with a group of people knows that. That's what Tehila is all about. And so I have a responsibility to those I'm singing with. I have vows to keep before them. I have promises to make to God before them, in front of them. I have a responsibility to you, my brother, my sister. I have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to me, my brother, and my sister. As we talked about, when we talked about Isaiah 58, we do not have the option to not treat one another as if they are not our flesh and blood. Or to live in a way in which we are saying, in effect, you are no one to me. Your perspective doesn't matter. What you're suffering doesn't matter to me. What about the suffering that I have? You see what I'm getting at here? This is what it means to sing in Tahila. It's an internal conversation. It's an internal understanding. It's trying to get at, are we singing on the same, from the same page here? What do I need to lay down? What notes do I love that I need to lay down so that I can sing with you in harmony? What notes do you need to lay down so that we can sing in harmony? What's the distance that we need to, we need to travel here? I think the fact of the matter is, brothers and sisters, this is what the church needs to realize right now. It's what America's learning. We're not seeing from the same hymn book, but these, all these folks aren't the church. The church needs to understand right now, church, we are not singing from the same hymn book. We're not singing from the same hymn book. That's a shock to some of us. It's not a shock to others of us, but it's a shock to some of us. 
We are not experiencing the faith in the same way because we are not having the same experience in life. We don't mean the same thing when we talk about justice, reconciliation, racial healing in Christ. We're not speaking the same language. We're not singing from the same hymn book. And some of us don't even realize there's more than one hymn book out there. We think ours is the only one. We come to Christ through our experiences. We come to Christ through our culture. We come to Christ through how he was presented to us and the experiences we have in life. This is not, it is not possible. We don't come to Christ in a vacuum. It's not possible for us to come to Christ in a vacuum. There is a true and perfect and and, and, and an unassailable gospel out there because there is a perfect uh, a picture of Christ out there. But, 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 but brothers and sisters, we have to recognize that we come to him and we see him through a glass darkly. And so we've been saved by his grace through these broken expressions of the gospel that we've been given. It's not possible for us. It's not possible for me to come to Christ not as a white man, not with the experiences that I've had, not with the parents that I've had, with the family that I've had, the time I was born in. It's not possible for me. Some people recognize this fact, that this is how we come to Jesus. But there are others who think that the way that they came is the neutral kind of uh, um, uh, perfect and unassailable gospel. And that everybody has to come the way they did. This reality of coming to Christ through our experiences and through our cultures and through our personalities, that's, that's not news to some. An example would be the theologian James Cone, for example, that openly called his theological work black theology and a recognition of the fact of what how he's coming to the cross and so he writes this brilliant book called the cross and the lynching tree and one that changed my view of the cross in a beautiful way because i was able to see to get a glimpse of how he came And he had the self-awareness to call that black theology. Now, you would be hard-pressed to find a white theologian that was so self-aware as to call his work, and I guess you could say her work, but more likely his work, white theology. No. no. A white theologian will more than likely call it theology. This is what I'm getting at. A dominant culture a dominant church culture cannot see the edges of itself. It's very difficult for it to see that it is a culture. It sees itself as, as neutral and normal Christianity experience. And so some of us are coming, this is the uncomfortableness of this moment, but this is what the church needs is to recognize that America is changing. And that's why America is feeling it. But brothers and sisters, the church needs to change too. This is not 
that there is a border, and this is important for us as white Christians to understand. We need perspectives that are not our own because the gospel that we have received is but one lens through which to see the cross. Some of us are just learning that there is more than one hymn book. And if you don't know, that's really, really important. If you don't know, it's important that you do. Because we can't sing in Tahila if we think that our hymn book, we just always thought of it as God's hymn book and everybody needs to get on our page. Well, the fact is, all of us, all of us need to lay our hymn books down and start singing off of God's sheep music. For, but for some of us, this is going to be a longer walk. For some of us, this is going to, be, going to take a lot more introspection. For some of us, it's going to be harder to lay some of that, um, to lay our own cultural hymn book down and recognize that maybe our hymn book has gotten off of God's sheet music a bit here and there or a lot here and there. That's going to be hard for some of us. For others, it, it won't be that hard. For some of us, it will. But I am here today in hope. I'm here today in hope that Tehillah can happen. It can happen. I know it can happen because we're given a glimpse of it in Revelation chapter 7. And I think we're given that glimpse so that we can keep on keeping on in the here and now. It can be done. It can be done because we don't have to do it alone. It's achieved ultimately in Revelation by the Spirit, and it's, and it's given birth in the here and now by the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit. We've not been left alone. We've not been left as orphans. We need to seek the Spirit in this moment. We need to seek the Spirit in this moment that we might also sing in halal. This is the job of the Holy Spirit to help us, to teach us of Christ, and to help us sing in harmony. I don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. We don't have to do it alone. We have the Holy Spirit. Let's seek the Holy Spirit. Because this is a moment. If we will do the hard internal work that uh, Dr. Ebony is calling for, that hard internal work of learning to sing in harmonious praise, then there is another kind of praise that is birthed out of that harmony. And what is birthed out of, out of, out of, out of Tahila is halal. And here's how you can know. Look at verse 26. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. And that word praise right there is halal. Isn't that interesting? Verse 25, the word praise is tahila. In verse 26, the word praise is halal. In uh, verse 25, there's an inward expression of praise, a, an inward conversation. Can we get on the same page with God's hymn book? Can we learn to sing in harmony God's way? That's an internal conversation. And when we're learning to speak in, and, and, and we're learning to sing in harmony off of God's uh, hymn book, uh, his, his sheet music together, out of that 
internal praise of learning Tehillah, what comes out of that once it's achieved, or once it even begins, is this increasing sense of halal, which is an outward shining forth of praise, a, a praise that makes a show of the Lord, that follows on the heels. Halal follows on the heels of Tehillah. So we can do the work of Tehillah in, in faith and also in anticipation that if we will do this work, what's going to happen is our light is going to begin to shine. Our praise is going to begin to overflow and it's going to move out away from us in such a way that is remarkable. Look, look at this. Look at this really quickly. Uh, the, 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 that As that inward work of Tehillah leads to the outward expression of Halal, that Halal, that, 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 that shining forth kind of praise, that when the people that are singing harmoniously, that, that speaks to those who see it in a way that is remarkable. It speaks to the world around it in a remarkable way. What, what is it, how does it do that? Well, it produces something. Halal produces something. Halal isn't just something that happens. It's not just something that happens in church. It's a productive kind of praise. It produces something in the world. What does halal produce in the world? Well, we see in verse 26, the poor will eat and be satisfied. And that word poor is, is probably not translated well. In your translation, it may say oppressed. It may say afflicted. When those who seek the Lord, when those who seek the Lord seek him, when they learn tahila and they seek the spirit together, what happens is halal. And halal produces a situation where the afflicted are satisfied, the oppressed are satisfied, the poor are satisfied. Halal produces real things in the world, real things. Chains fall when halal comes out. The, the, the back of systemic racism is broken in the presence of halal. Poverty, disease, all of these are subject and run from the voice of halal, a shining forth of the glory of God. So one of the, the, the first thing that halal produces is that the afflicted will eat and be satisfied. The oppressed will eat and be satisfied. But that's not the only thing that halal produces. Look at verse 27. And all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Um, so all of y'all that are, are uh, if you're hearing people talk about the dangers of social justice getting wrapped up in what the church is doing, and some of you all are, are hearing some of this stuff about the dangers of the woke church or whatever the situation is, let me just go ahead and tell you that if we'll learn how to sing in Tehillah, what will come out of us is halal. Halal produces justice <laughs> and conversion. These two need not be separated. And the reason is this, because we're telling people about Jesus and we're tolerating what 
and not tolerating what Jesus wouldn't tolerate. We're acting like Jesus. Those things have to go together. We have to live the life that Jesus would have us live, or else what we say about Jesus doesn't matter. And vice versa. We have to say about Jesus what's true, or how we live doesn't matter. So what brings this to pass? Seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord. And I am done. Because all I'm going to do now is tell you what's coming up next. Next Sunday, the 28th, we will be back in the building. And it will be the first of um, Lord willing. <laughs> Many times we'll be able to meet together. I'm going to talk more about you. I'll come uh, with another video this week that'll talk about the safety, the health protocols that we'll be observing, and I'll be in the church uh, uh, setting there, so you'll be able to see how the seats are set up and and know what to expect with uh, kids because we'll have kids in the service. No city kids um, will be provided, and so we've got some plans for that. And one of those is to shorten the services, but we're not looking at this as like, oh, we've got to figure out how to shorten these services down. We're changing the way that we're going to conceive of these services. These are going to be upper room moments. I'll talk about this more next week, but at the end of Luke, the last thing that Jesus says to them is not go out into, you know, all nations and, and uh, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the end of Matthew. In the end of Luke, he says, go back to Jerusalem, go up to the upper room and pray and wait for the Holy Spirit to come and clothe you in power for the mission that I have for you. These, um, uh, these, these meetings that we're going to have in July and August, where we are still under some group restrictions as far as kids and that sort of thing, we're seeing them as upper room moments. We're going to come together and the focus is going to be on worship. We're going to sing like crazy. We're going to uh, uh, unpack a word in which it's leading us to pursue the Lord, a short word that's going to lead us in some way that's unpacking some person in the Bible that is on their knees seeking, saying, Lord, if you won't go with us, we can't go. That will happen, and that will lead into a time of prayer, a time of where the altar will be open. And if the kids are timing out and it's time for you to go, you'll be free to go, but we're going to stay and pray as long as people want to stay and pray. We're seeking the Lord. We're not going back to business as usual. We're not just trying to think of a clever way to have shorter services. We're having upper room moments next, next two months. So I want you to come expectant. I know that you're out of sorts. You got to be. You got to be asking yourself, why? <laughs> why, Lord, did this all happen at the same time? Why? Why? Don't let that die. Why? Why, Lord? Why has it always been this way? Why can't we change? Why do we keep having these uh, riotous moments because of police brutality and, 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 and racism coming to the fore, no matter what we seem to do, no matter what programs we seem to put out from the government or whatever? Why, why, why bring all that stuff with you? All the stuff that's in your heart, your broken relationships, your broken marriages, your broken uh, relationship with your kids, your fears, your sicknesses, bring those with you. And we're going to sing uh, to the Lord and we're going to seek the Lord, and we're going to wait for the Holy Spirit to come and clothe us in power for the mission that he has for us. Will you come in expectation for that? Please.
come in expectation for that. We need you, Lord Jesus. We need you now. Thank you for our fathers. We, we are so needful of them and we're so thankful for them. And I want to pray for all those who, when they think of their father, it's a painful memory. I also want to pray for all of us who have a, a glorious memory when we think of our own fathers. But most of all, Lord, I also want to thank you for those spiritual fathers. And I pray that you'll turn us all into spiritual mothers and fathers, that we would have a concern for those that are coming up after us. Lord Jesus, let us not despise the teaching we have received, the guidance we have received. Let us come and seek you now as your people. You have sat us down. You've sat us down as a church. You've sat us down as a nation. You've sat us down as a world. Lord, let us hear you. Let us seek you. Let us praise you in Tahila to, so, that, so that halal can once again emanate out the doors of our churches. And the oppressed will be satisfied. The afflicted will be healed. And that all of your children will remember you and come to you. I pray for this. I pray for these miracles boldly in the name of Jesus. Thank you, brothers and sisters. And Lord willing, we'll see you next Sunday, the 28th at the building, 10 a.m. God bless you.